Welcome to Ikigai Stories. I'm Sam Yushu. The goal of this podcast is to showcase people who are living with intention, working hard to align actions with priorities, and ultimately to provide a platform of inspiration for those seeking to live a life rooted in purpose. Tori Dunlap is the founder of Her First 100K, a money and career platform for millennial women. Tori is a 25-year-old entrepreneur whose personal mission to save $100,000 has evolved into a business that has been featured on CNBC, MarketWatch, and Yahoo. Her first 100K blends personal finance with behavioral psychology by tackling tough topics like the shame that can be associated with money and salary negotiation, while also deploying new school budgeting techniques like using a money diary. Tori is fearless. She pulls no punches on her quest to equip women with the tools to succeed, saying that a woman's best form of protest is a financial education and highlights that financial topics often correlate directly with social topics. Women make less than men. Women invest later in life or not at all. And on average, women live seven years longer than men. Tori uses these compelling proof points to raise awareness and deliver solutions to tackle these important issues. At one point, Tori mentions that her parents have asked her the question, quote, why do you have to get so political, unquote. And admittedly, this was a question that had popped into my Gen X mind at points throughout our conversation. But one of my key takeaways is that millennials like Tori are leading a new, more holistic definition of the word responsibility. And that requires an openness and willingness to learn from each other. If we want progress, then we need to find common ground. And Tori is at the forefront of this movement. Now, please enjoy Ikigai Stories with Tori Dunlap, the fearless financial feminist and founder of her first 100K. Tori, thanks for being here. Uh, let's start off with talking about her first 100K. Yeah, so her first 100K is a money and career platform for women, and it was founded, inspired by my journey to save $100,000 by 25. So I believe I was put on this earth to fight for financial equality for women, and I don't think we have any sort of equality before we have uh, financial equality. So I am a money speaker and coach. Uh, I work with women all over the country, budgeting, saving, negotiating, investing, all of that fun stuff. And I think, yeah, that's what I was put on this earth to do. Love it. Um, so let's talk about the two numbers. Yes. 100K and by the age of 25. Five. Right. So why those two numbers? It's technically, I guess, I, the deal I've made with myself is as long as I do it the day before I turn 26, mm. I can say it was 25. Because yeah. it was this completely arbitrary goal I decided for myself of no one was making me create this goal. No one was asking me. I realized when I was probably about 22 that it was in sight and I could probably do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I announced it publicly once I rebranded <laughs> in February of this year. So I kind of have to have to hold myself to it. <laughs> But 100K, yeah, it, it came from a variety of different ways. The first thing I like to acknowledge is I graduated without student debt, and I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't have that. So it was a very collaborative process with my parents, but they helped financially. Um, I got quite a m 
bit of money in merit scholarships, worked three on-campus jobs, worked a summer job. So it was definitely a collaboration of sitting down probably three times a year with my parents and being like, okay, how much are you going to contribute? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, them to me, how much are you going to contribute? How are we going to figure out how to do this? So yeah. it was a collaborative process. Um, but that's the first thing I like to acknowledge is it wouldn't be possible if I had had crippling student debt, which most uh, most people my age in the country do have. Yeah. But beyond that, like I got a side hustle really early. Um, so when I was 21, I was working a nine to five and then I was also side hustling and I was able to put all of that money into savings as well as a good portion of my nine to five income. Um, I started investing early, opened my Roth IRA when I was 21. I negotiated every job offer I had. So I got a 20% raise at my first job at my one year annual review, went on to negotiate $20,000 more in my next job. That's a whole other story. I ended up having to quit after 10 weeks because it was so toxic, Um, but then negotiated $10,000 more at the next job. So that was a huge piece of it as well. And then automating my savings, being able to say, okay, I'm going to take this percentage or this amount out of of every paycheck and immediately put it into savings, Mm. act like it doesn't exist. And... Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna need every day until <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until the day before I'm 26. Right. Um, Cause yeah, it's not like I, I I've never made six figures. I've never, um, yeah, I didn't you know invest a boatload of money. I do have some privilege, but it was also hard work. So yeah, yeah. So it started out when you were 22. That was when the yes. when the light bulb went off. Like yeah, I, it's probably 22, 23. Yeah. Uh, I literally read an article, The Financial Diet is one of my favorite um, media publications about money, and I'm really good friends with the team there, and they ran a piece about people who had saved $100,000 at 25, or net worth, it was something 100K, 25, mm. and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, and then yeah. like ran the numbers and figured out, okay, I can do it. And I would actually be doing it sooner if I didn't go through that period of unemployment after taking that horribly toxic job and then having to quit 10 weeks later. So, yeah, yeah, because I wasn't making money and I was also spending the money I had because I had an emergency fund. But that's something I talk about quite frequently with clients. It's like now we're off on a tangent, but the importance of an emergency fund of Mm. like I was able to quit a job I no longer wanted to be in. Um, You know, you're able to get out of a bad relationship because you can afford your own apartment that you're sharing, you know, that you can move on from. Um, You can take a vacation when you want to take a vacation, retire early, like money means freedom. And so having the security I did of building up, you know, a six month emergency fund, that was what the money was there for. So I was able to quit. Um, But that, that, was what I think is so important for women in regards to money specifically is just the freedom that it gives you to make decisions about your own life. How long were you out of, so you, you did 10 weeks and then how, how long? Yeah. So I started in October, um, realized by day two, I had made the wrong choice Hmm. and literally like walked out, walked out of the office, called my mom and I was like, mom, this was not right. And like all good moms do, she's like, I'm sure it'll get better. I just hang in there and it got so much worse. So A week and a half in, my boss made me cry and told me that she was worried she was going to regret hiring me. And then that sort of behavior continued for the next nine weeks. So, yeah, I quit. I quit basically before she could fire me. Mm -hmm. I literally walked in one morning after completing this huge project and I was like, you know, she uh, this is done. And she goes, "Okay, are you leaving? Are you staying? I was like, I think it'd be in my best interest for me to leave. And she was like, okay, then your last day will be tomorrow. So that was like January 5th of 2018. And then I spent the next three months unemployed. Wow. Yeah. And lived off of savings. So 
I was making more money that I never made. And that was the reason I took the job was I was able to negotiate $20,000 more. Mm-hmm. Uh, my gut was telling me, no, you won't be happy here. Like it's not, this is not for you, but yeah. I didn't listen to it. I, I'm, I'm happy to admit I got distracted by how much money I was like, okay, I can put a, and it wasn't like I get to blow all this money because <laughs> I'm yeah. crazy. It was like, I get to save all this money for retirement. <laughs> right. <laughs> I right. get to, I get to, you know, triple my account uh, or my account contributions. And yeah, it just, it was not, not worth it at all, but it was a great lesson to learn the hard way. Yeah. So emergency fund is one of the key tenants. And what what, um, what yeah. are some of the other key tenants that you focus on? Well, I have like a priority list of yeah. what needs to happen when, because yeah. for a lot of people, they're like, okay, I have debt. I have credit card debt. Do I pay that off first? Do I do an emergency fund? If so, how much? Where should it be? Um, retirement's important. Also, I want to buy a house. So there's all these things. Mm-hmm. So I'll walk people through. For me, an emergency fund is the number one priority. And you'll hear sometimes Dave Ramsey, but that's a whole other thing. I hate his guts, but we can talk about that if we want. Um, he's a big he's a big believer in like debt payoff first because mm-hmm. debt is evil. Yep. And uh, I would rather have an emergency fund. I would rather have my clients have an emergency fund, both for your mental health of feeling like, okay, I have some sort of security. Yeah. And also, we don't want you going into more debt should an emergency happen. So for me, emergency funds start with $1,000. Um, try to get to three to six months of living expenses saved up and you want that in a high yield savings account mm-hmm. um, a lot of savings accounts at your local bank or even like bank of america or chase are giving you like 0.4 percent interest mm-hmm. when you could be making 2.2 in an online bank no fees no minimums so a high yield savings account for your emergency fund the nice thing is is if you pull it away from your day-to-day bank as well you're less likely to take money out of it mm-hmm. because it's like one extra step that you have to go through yeah then I have people pay off the higher interest debt, payday loans, credit cards. It's the consumer debt. It's what's costing them the most money. It's costing them more than they're going to be able to make back in the market. So market returns, hopefully 7% on average. If your credit card, most credit cards start at 15% right. and you're looking from anywhere to 15 to 30% interest. So paying that off first as much as you can. Um, I suggest starting with like the, the debt that's costing you the most. So if you have two credit cards and one's at 25 and one's at 18, start with 25% interest. But also keep in mind that if the one that has 18% interest, you know, doesn't have as much money on it, and you know from a mental health perspective again that it's gonna make you more motivated if you see at least one of one pieces of debt gone, mm-hmm. like pay that off first. Yeah. Um, that's something that I, I really value in my coaching is. Like money is entirely emotional, entirely our mental space. So like all of these are guidelines, but if you know for yourself that, you know, the debt is giving you so much anxiety or you know that to keep you motivated, you need to pay off the smaller amount first and build up, then that's that's great. Um, So high interest debt. And then number three is kind of retirement with lower interest debt. So start saving for retirement, 401k, IRA. If you're self-employed, a solo 401k or a SEP IRA, and then mixed with paying down things like car loans, student loans, things that are costing you under what you could make in the market. Mm-hmm. So anything under 7%. Yeah. Um, and then number four is kind of happening with number three. And, f- you know, retire- <laughs> retirement savings never really stop. So number four is like the big stuff. So uh, getting married, having kids, down payment on a house, taking that incredible vacation, starting a business, all of that fun stuff. So for me, like an emergency fund, number one goal. The nice thing about emergency fund is um, you'll eventually have to use it, but that's really the only goal that like once it's done, it's done. 
Like you don't, you don't ever have to worry about it again. Yeah. Um, chances are you're always going to be in some sort of debt until you're older, right? Maybe you're, okay, you're done with credit card debt. Okay, now I move on to student loans. You're done with student loans. Maybe you have a mortgage or a car. Like mm -hmm. that's, for most Americans, like debt-free is going to be, if you get there at all, it's going to be when you're, when you're older. Right. Um, and retirement never stops. So the nice thing about the emergency fund is like, okay, once you are funneling money to that and you're done, then you can funnel the money that was going there to one of these other goals. Yeah. So can you talk about the, um, the emotional aspect that you mentioned yeah. and just, uh, like how does, how do you coach, uh, clients to find that intersection between like, there's a logical quantity yeah. of thing. And then there's a, this just doesn't make me feel right. Or right. this makes me feel better when I take this approach. How do you address that? There's so much shame around money. Yeah. Um, there's shame if you have too much. There's shame if you have not enough. Uh, I remember when I was going to announce that I was on track to save 100K and imposter syndrome kicked in and shame. I was like, who are you to announce this? Like, oh, I felt so much shame around it. Mm -hmm. um, we all feel shame ab around money. And for women specifically, the shame we feel is the same shame that... Uh, our food, our relationship with food and our weight gives mm. us. So we'll go through the whole week and we've been eating like shit mm -hmm. and we'll get to Saturday and we'll go, Oh, what's another whole pizza. Right. <laughs> and it's the same thing with like debt, right. Of I'm already $10,000 in debt. What's another two. Yeah. It's like, no, it's another $2,000 of debt. Yeah. Or, uh, I ate bacon for breakfast. So I'm going to eat a salad for lunch. We all do this. But that's not sustainable, right? That's not a lifestyle. Those are those are like reactive choices as opposed to proactive. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm a huge believer in talking about money because all the emotions that are going on that you feel are so singular to you, everyone else feels. Right. Like everybody else feels shame around money. Right. Shame for making too much, shame for not having enough, shame for having too much debt, shame for buying this thing that they shouldn't have bought or that didn't bring them joy. Um, and the more we talk about it, our relationship with money, how much we're saving, what our fears are, what our goals are, the less alone we feel. And this happens, you know, not just with money, but anything. Like, mm -hmm. the more siloed and alone we feel, the less likely we are to be able to move forward and progress because we feel like we're the only ones or we feel so much shame that we don't even want to look at it. Right. So I call it the ostrich effect. Um, it's... It's a, a, a very common, common thing. I shouldn't say like I came up with the name, but the ostrich effect around money of I'm going to put my head in the sand. I'm going to act like this isn't a problem and hopefully it's just going to go away magically. Yeah. So I worked with a client literally last night. She's spending, uh, she and her husband and they have a six-year-old son. Um, sh they're spending $2,400 on groceries a month plus another thousand on restaurants. Mm -hmm. $2,400 yeah. on groceries? For a family of three. What are they buying? I don't know. I have no wow. idea. So have them invite you over for dinner. Right. I'm like caviar and yeah. yeah. Surf and turf. Every yeah, night. seriously. So, but that's the thing, right? Is like, she finally got honest with herself and that's why she called me and she's mm -hmm. like, uh, we only look at our statements once a year Yeah. and we get to the end and we go, Oh, okay. Well, we'll just, we'll just fix it this year mm -hmm. without an actual plan. Um, and there's so much shame around that because I don't want to acknowledge it. I don't want to. I don't want to look at it. Yeah. Um, so the more you're talking about it and g like getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. So 
pulling your head out of the sand. I, I literally have clients like I, I, I recommend what's called a money date, which is like sitting down with your money. And if you have a partner who you manage money with sitting down with them once a month, non-negotiable for like a half hour to an hour. And the first time you do this, I literally recommend like make yourself a down comforter fort like glass of wine, your favorite takeout, like make yourself as comfortable as possible and then rip the bandaid off. Yeah. Um, but you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. And the more we talk about it, the more we talk about the shame we feel around money, uh, the, I mean, the better off we'll be. Right. Right. So I'm guessing that most people who work with you have already reached that conclusion that's why they're reaching out and working with you some of them yeah some of them are proactive which is really great (laughs) i remember one of my first clients she came to me she was saving 75 percent of her income 80 percent of her income wow and she's like i feel like i'm not doing enough and i was like slow your roll yeah i literally had to tell her to spend money i was like go spend money and that's something that i pride myself on that's a little bit different than a lot of the financial advice we hear Mm -hmm. if you want the coffee buy the coffee Mm mm-hmm that's not going to make or break your wealth. Yeah. So what I have people do is identify their three priorities. And these are the things that like bring them joy that they really want to spend money on. And for me, it's food, travel, and living alone in Seattle. Because that, unfortunately, is a luxury. And I want to be able to like oh, walk around the no, house naked. No yeah, no roommates. <laughs> um, I want to be able to do that. So for somebody else, that might be clothes or makeup or... $2,400 worth of... Maybe. But again... That's where you draw the line. Right. There's ways to optimize this. Like, I'm not going... For me, luxury travel does not make sense for me right now. So there's ways to optimize, but it's... It's saying, like, these things are more important to me. So I know if I get to the end of the month and my Starbucks bill is $200, I'm like... No, like that that is not a priority of yours. That does not bring you joy. That's Mm -hmm. just you being lazy and emotionally spending so when you when you look through the lens of those three priorities and this is what i did with the client last night my client last night of okay what are her three priorities they were her son her health and travel and i go health makes sense with the food but eating out doesn't Mm -hmm. right so we're taking baby steps like if we can get her to minimize her eating out then we can work on the grocery bill being so expensive but figuring out your priorities i'm never going to tell somebody don't spend money because that's just not feasible that's not enjoyable money is meant to be saved but also meant to be spent right so i think the original question which we got off on was like the emotional um the emotional side of money all of our spending is emotional both good and bad so it's like oh you know my friend got a promotion we go out to eat like that was a great use of my money because i got to celebrate her i got to um, you know, have a really good meal. And I, you know, basically paid time or I paid money to spend time with her. That was, it was great quality time. Yep. That's a great purchase. A not so great purchase is the thing you do out of laziness. The thing that doesn't really bring you joy. The thing you do reactively. Oh, my boss made me feel terrible today at work. So I bought this pair of shoes that I didn't really need and didn't really want because I thought it would fill something mm-hmm. that was, you know, a gaping hole. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, we do this with food. We do this with a lot of other things. Yeah. Um, so the more we can figure out, okay, what are our spending triggers? What are our emotional spending triggers? And how can we combat those? And how can we use our money as a tool to bring us the most joy? So when you work with somebody, is there... Uh, it, it, it seems like just getting them to admit, because there is, uh, I think you're exactly right, there's a ton of shame wrapped up in, in money. 
getting them to admit that they're spending $2,400 a month right. on groceries for two and a half people, um, it seems like that could be a, a, a hurdle. Yeah. Um, so, like, what's the process that you use to help her, in that case, uh, or any of your clients, like, uh, establish rapport, trust, to, right. to kind of break through that yeah. conversation? So the best thing I can do is have them figure that out for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I have the money diary. Mm-hmm. And I created a product around it, and it's called the cash calendar. And the cash calendar is basically a way to track your purchases, every single purchase for a month, mm-hmm. and then reflect back on it and, like, check-ins every week. But I had her do that. And yeah. I uh, literally, I mean, this happened yesterday, so we'll see how it goes. But the nice thing about money diarying is I have them establish their three priorities mm-hmm. and then I have them do the exercise without judgment. So they're an anthropologist. Again, like, oh, I bought that pair of shoes that I didn't need and that didn't bring me joy because I had a terrible day at work. Interesting. No judgment. No, how could I? That's terrible. No beat yourself up. Just like, that's interesting. And then when we get to the end of the month, you evaluate your purchases. Did they align with my priorities? Did they bring me joy? Uh, what went well, what didn't, and what can I adjust next month? And so the easiest way I can, um, I can, I can allow change to happen, you, you, if you hear something from me, you're going to go, oh, that's interesting, but you might not do it. Whether it's if I give you an exercise to just monitor your own spending habits and then come back to me, and then we can figure out how to move from there, that's transformative, mm-hmm. right? Because you're looking at, uh, and the way I have them track it is not only what they spent and where, but why they made the purchase and how it made them feel. Mm. And they literally do this for every purchase, including automated things like Netflix or, you know, the thing they bought online with their saved credit card information in their browser. Right. Um, you can hear something from me and go, oh, that's great. But if you see yourself doing this actively, you're going to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's the change that needs to happen. Yeah. And so I have them do that practice for themselves. Yeah. And I you know, teach them how to do it and guide them through the process. And I'm there as an emotional, uh, emotional support for them. Mm-hmm. And then they can come back and be like, okay, here's the changes I want to make. And I can, I can say, great. Or I can say, like, le- like let's, let's, maybe, let's maybe be more aggressive. Or maybe yeah. you're being too aggressive. Let's, let's pull back a little bit. Yeah. Um, so then we can evaluate from there. It sounds like you've almost forced them to step outside of themselves and Completely. look at their decision making yes. with blank slate. Like, yeah, because yeah. again, shame, judgment, like all of right. these things are going to happen. So I literally tell people, and I put this in the cash calendar, and when I work with clients, like this is without judgment. You are an anthropologist in your own life. Like you're just looking at what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. And for those first like week or two, you're going to be really good. You're probably not going to spend a ton of money. And that's why I have people do it for at least a month. Um, and I do it sometimes when I need to get back and back in check, like my $200 Starbucks bill, because coffee is not a priority for me. Mm-hmm. It might be for somebody else. That's awesome. But yeah. for me, it's not. Yeah. So if I see, okay, I'm spending a lot of money there. And the thing that, that is, is not adding a lot of value to my life, then it's like, okay, I, I need to start tracking my purchases again. Yeah. Talk about, um, your audience. Who are you typically working with and what is the client? look like my favorite millennial women (laughs) women in their 20s and 30s who are either just kind of getting into their careers or starting to make some money and don't know what to do with it um yeah i think it's it's women who 
are friends of mine. Like they've, they've gone from clients to friends mm-hmm. because we're all in it together. Like mm-hmm. we all have shared experiences. We've all seen gender bias at work. We've all seen, uh, you know, we we're, we're really coming into an adulthood in our twenties and thirties in Trump's America. We're having all of these experiences that, are are shared and at the same time are diverse and so we're able to talk about it and it's just yeah this is these are my people these are my favorite favorite people in the world are just women who are super motivated and just really want to use money as a tool for for their lives what are some of the key challenges that you're seeing the millennial women face yeah so there's been a lot of talk about the pay gap, rightfully so. So depending on different studies you read, 76 to 80 cents on a man's dollar, and that's for white women. Uh, women of color have it even worse. So we take the pay gap, we make less money than men. Women on average also invest later or not at all. So we take less money, it earns less money, and then women on average live seven years longer than men do. So less money, earning less money, and then we're expected to live longer on that money. That affects everything. Yeah. yeah. So that's my that's my motivator of how do we get you making these big, taking these big steps, making these big wins. Again, the daily coffee, like if you're spending a ton of money on coffee and it doesn't it doesn't add joy to your life, sure there's some changes that can happen there, but that's a little win. Big wins are negotiating your salary, mm-hmm. investing early. Um, living in a lower cost area if you can. Um, those are the kind of things that really contribute to wealth. And I always say having a financial education is a woman's best form of protest, hmm. truly. Yeah. So if you have money, like I said before, you're able to make these decisions in your life. You're able to get out of situations you no longer want to be in. You're able to put yourself in situations you want to be in. You're able to take a job that you really love um, because you love it and not because you're worried about necessarily that, you know, how much, how much money you're going to be able to take home. Um, you're able to quit a job you don't like anymore and start a business or leave for another job. Um, you're able to donate to causes you believe in. You're able to vote with your dollars. Uh, you're able to support candidates and organizations that mean something to you because money talks whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And so giving women money is how we change the equality picture. Yeah. Can you talk about the word joy? So you were referencing the word yeah, joy a lot. lot. And it sounds like Marie Kondo, well, don't I? Know. I? Is that intentional? So actually, a, yes, a it guest is. three or four episodes ago was a Marie Kondo consultant. Oh, really? She, oh, I have to go back and listen. Um, she was part of the first global cohort. Oh, so cool. we were all about joy in that conversation. Yeah. But is that an intentional word for you? 100%. Yeah. It's priority based spending. Yeah. It's not, you can't spend money on this. It's like, no, if you want this, great. Mm-hmm. If you want this thing that seems frivolous, this pair of designer, you know, a designer handbag or, um, yeah, coffee every day, too much personal finance advice is black and white. It's like, the reason you're not wealthy is because you drink coffee. And it's like, that's not true. The it's reason avocado toast. Right, right. Avocado, $19 avocado toast. And it's like, avocado toast. No, the reason millennials aren't wealthy is because our student debt crisis we have over a billion, or is it a trillion? It's a trillion dollars of student debt. Yeah. That out- outweighs now credit card debt. Yeah. Um, wages have stagnated for the first time in recent history. Mm-hmm. So we have more debt, and yet we're making less money. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and the solution that a lot of baby boomer, especially baby boomer, like money media has is like, you're, you're buying $19 avocado toast. And that's why millennials can't afford houses. It's like, no, it's not. And if, if you really thought about it, you know that that's not, that's not why. So for me, it's, it's priority based spending. Mm. You can afford anything. You just can't afford everything. My lovely friend Paula Pant says that. You can afford anything. You just can't afford everything. Yep. Yep. Uh, when you so, you probably don't have clients that are boomers. I'm actually. Guessing, well, I'm starting with all of this this media coverage now. Yeah. That's the really tragic thing. Back to the th- the the point of like wage gap plus investing gap, plus living seven years longer. I'm getting women in their 50s who are calling me and they're going, I have nothing safe for retirement mm-hmm. and I don't know what to do mm-hmm. because the clock is ticking and I know I should have started earlier. Yeah. And those are the heartbreaking calls. Yeah. Those are the ones that, oh man, it's just, what do you tell them? Because I'm not the person to give you hope that's false hope. Right. Uh, but I'm also not going to tell you that, you can't do something about it right. because you can like the day you start investing is the best day. Cause you didn't start tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. um, that's, that's the one that breaks my heart. Yeah. And I can only do so much for you. Well, so are there, are there perspective? There are, you're referencing this, you're kind of touching on it from different angles, but the, so I'm interested in getting into the psyche of the of the millennial, sure. and in particular the millennial woman, if you want to go there. But just uh, if we just start like millennial in general, yeah. Um, I think there's a different perspective in terms of money, yeah. Um, work life balance, totally. Uh, you know, so the joy, priority based spending, all that type of stuff. I think is is a new perspective on engaging money yeah so are there are there perspectives that you see that are that you can point at and say this is clearly different with millennials versus a gen xer like me or a boomer before me this is in no way novel you could read a lot of pieces about millennials and they'll tell you this but our happiness is more important than pretty much anything else and like making other people happy. It's not a selfish happiness, Mm. but it's just, if you're not happy in this job, you're going to do everything you can to make a change. Or if you don't want to work corporate, you're going to quit and build a business for yourself or freelance or do something else. Mm -hmm. And what really, what I really struggle with in regards to the money industry specifically, um, I haven't been published in Money Magazine, so maybe I shouldn't give them crap, but I'm going to do it anyway. So they, um, they're one of those publications, and we may have talked about this before, you and I, that they literally will say something like, millennials aren't saving money. We don't understand why they're not taking our advice. And then you flip the page, and it's like, millennials are terrible. They're buying $19, $19 avocado toast. And just they're so entitled and we just hate them. And 
just from a marketing perspective, because I work in marketing my nine to five, that is the worst. If, you're, if your audience, if you're trying to appeal to millennials and you're trying to get them to take your advice and then literally in the next breath, you insult them, mm-hmm. duh, that doesn't work. Right. Like that doesn't work. Right. Right. And so too much of the money guidance from people like Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, who have paved the way for me and many, many other people mm-hmm. and who have a lot of really great advice, mm-hmm. but they're so out of touch yeah. and they don't understand that a lot of the reasons why we're in the predicament we're in as a country, as a world is systemic. It's not because somebody bought the car they couldn't afford. That's a piece of it, but we're talking like tiny, tiny piece. Mm. It's the fact that student debt is at an all-time high. Wages have stagnated. Um, mm. If if your parents and grandparents and gra- great-grandparents didn't go to college, the chance of you going to college is slim. Um, yeah. I mean, I've been political up until this point, but like all of these abortion bans, mm-hmm. what people aren't talking about as much is the financial impact that laws like this can have mm. because if you are forcing, because the majority of women who have abortions are married with children. Mm. It's not the teenager who gets pregnant. It's not the, the, you know, the couple who is irresponsible. It's, it's just parents. And if you did not expect for your family to expand and you're already struggling, if you have two kids mm-hmm. now, now the resources are split into thirds instead of halves. And the same people who are trying to ban choice I- are the same people who are pro-economic prosperity for America. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so if you are telling parents you must have this child that you didn't want or expect to have, not only does that child and their parents have less opportunity, but this will continue for generations. Because like I said, if, if your parents and great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents didn't have opportunities, like it's poor people stay poor mm. statistically. Yep. So the conversation that millennials want to have about money is beyond spending or earning. It's what is happening in the world around us and in our country and in uh, you know social services and in politics and I- what what is happening beyond that beyond my personal finances that is causing all of this to turn to shit yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. and and the Dave Ramsey narrative of like um, it's all it's all you and it's um it's just it's first of all it's it's shaming which i really don't appreciate um of making you feel bad about getting into debt or making you feel bad about your decisions in order to change that doesn't work mm-hmm. you don't grow a tree by chopping it down you grow a tree by watering it um so that and then combined with there's really no talk of of anything beyond personal finances and I think that generation, I mean, my parents, I love my parents to death. And my parents have given me a very, you know, a really great financial education. I would not be where I'm at without opportunities, without their education. But we can't have a conversation in our house about um, the privileges we have being white. And the fact that you can't just, it's the, it's the bootstraps narrative really is what I'm talking about. We can't have a conversation about 
the American dream and how that's a fraud. Like we can't, we can't talk about it because my parents grew up of like, just work hard enough and everything will happen for you. Yeah. So what's, what's the bootstraps narrative that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps that the American dream exists that if you just work hard and want it bad enough. Mm. Um, and first of all, if you're white, that usually can work for you, or at least you have a better shot. Um, or if you're straight or if you're cisgender, or if you came from at least a little bit of money, if you're middle class, um, that's the narrative. I just talked for 10 minutes to get to this one point that was <laughs> encompassing <laughs> of all, all the 10 it's minutes, build. but it's the bootstrap thing yeah. of, yeah. no, it's not work hard enough. Yeah. Because yeah. the single mom who works three jobs because our, the minimum wage is too low, she's working really hard. Right. She's working harder than I am. Right. And she's not progressing. And her, her kids, statistically pe- speaking, will not be an Oprah who came from nothing and rose to the top. Like, that is a very, very rare case. Right, right. So those are the conversations we're not having. So how, how – so you're clearly passionate, right? Yeah, I just went topics. on a rant. I'm like, oh, let's well, go. No. So, uh, so, well, so how, how, do you, how do you capture that, um, that – those principles yes. in the mission – of her hundred one hundred k talking about politics, mm. not making it apolitical, yeah, I literally have on my site having a financial education is a woman's best form of protest. I am very clear as to who you know wh- i'm I'm blatantly feminist, I'm very clear as to what I believe, who I support, and who I don't mm-hmm. and that's the other difference I think with millennials because again, love my parents, they're like, why do you have to get political? Like, don't you think that that's going to be, like, don't you think that that's going to negatively impact you and your business? Like, just talk about what there is to talk about. And I'm like, no, the reason people gravitate to me is because I'm calling it like I see it. Yeah. Again, and I, 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 like, love and hate to hate on them. But, like, Susie Orman, you know, gay woman who paved the way in the finance industry for women. Yeah. M- so much respect for her. Yeah. But also, not really blatantly feminist. Where's those weird callers? You know, it's like... <laughs> Um, they just don't get it, right? They don't get it. Um, and I want to talk about (laughs) how money can change your life and how you can use it to change the lives of others. Right. And how in Trump's America, where women's rights are being violated or challenged literally every day, for me, money seems like the best, the best way to bridge the the inequality gap yeah so i want to explore this the juggle between having a nine to five a side gig that is becoming bigger than a side gig it's like not even side anymore it seems like um just can you talk about that just being somebody that's managing a nine to five and juggling a side business that is flourishing and exploding it's not easy. Too many people say, oh, you just have to hustle. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I like to say. Yeah. Like, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is hard. Yeah. One of the best things I learned is to follow your energy. A lot of people, uh, when you first get started, tell you, like, block your time. And if that works for you, great. doesn't work for me. Because sometimes when I get home and if I've blocked my time from, okay, six to eight is going to be your time you work, um, Sometimes I just want to sit and watch Jeopardy. And uh, yeah, I'm like 82. Millennials watch Jeopardy. I love watch Jeopardy, Jeopardy so much. <laughs> what? 
No, but I'm also like 82. Like if I'm not in bed by 11, like I went out this weekend and I was up till two and I woke up the next day and I was like, what have I done? <laughs> but no, like I, you know, sometimes you get home and you don't want to do anything. Yeah. Because the energy's not there. Yeah. And you have to grant yourself that. And sometimes when you're like, okay, I'm going to be in bed by 10, energy comes. And what are you going to do? Go to bed and deny your... So I, I'm a big believer in like following the energy. Mm-hmm. If you get energy at 10 p.m., take it because you don't know when it's going to come back. So there's some times where, yeah, I, hmm. I am working a little bit longer than I expected. Yeah. Um, but I work at a startup and a bunch of the people roll in at 930. Yeah. And I'm usually in by like 830. Mm-hmm. If I'm in by 930, it's not the end of the world. Um, my hours before and after work are really where I'm getting a lot of my work done as well as weekends. And again, with following your energy, like that's the other thing about um, managing a side hustle is m- every week is going to be different. There's going to be weeks I'm speaking or weeks I have events. There's going to be other weeks where, um, you know, I really want to hang out with friends or friends need me. There's something going on that I, I need yeah. to be there for or my family. So I try to not structure my time. It's just like, okay, if I know um, I'm going to have a busy week, then maybe next week is not as busy. Yeah. The nice thing about being an entrepreneur is you can kind of choose, especially a side hustle entrepreneur, you can kind of choose when to ramp up and you can choose when to slow down. Yeah. And that's the other really key thing, I think. Too many people in the entrepreneurial community just say, like, quit your 9 to 5. Your 9 to 5 is what's holding you back. My 9 to 5 is what's given me the opportunity to do all these things. And I love my 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like a, it's a job I don't like. Like, mm-hmm. I really love it. Yeah. It's in the financial space. It's financial tech. Like, I really enjoy it. Really love the team. It also, just from an income perspective, it's giving me the stability to be able to do all this other stuff. Because if I was trying to count on my business, especially at this point, because it doesn't make enough money for me to live off of, if I was trying to to make that my full-time gig, I would I would grow to resent it. Yeah. I'd be chasing invoices. I would be so stressed. I wouldn't be able to take the time I did. I took two and a half years of serving before I sold. Like I served before I sold. I, I garnered an audience. I started building trust and credibility. I started mm-hmm. growing my network. Yeah. I really didn't sell a product for two years. Yeah. And I was able to do that because I had a nine to five. So can you expand on that? The yeah. What you did there? Um, so Victory Media was the original name of my business. Mm-hmm. And that started as a blog originally. It was like travel, money, career. And then I realized that all of my posts had something to do with money. <laughs> like travel was about like how I scored this crazy flight deal and like how I was able to, you know, finagle and negotiate a you know car rental rate. So um, I realized after about probably a year and a half of Victory Media that I wanted it to be specifically about money. But um, money and career. But yeah, started it. After four years of saying I was going to start a blog and literally bought the domain in a night and threw some blog posts up and tweaked as I went. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm sorry, what was your original question? Goodness, I'm on a rant now. Uh, well, managing so it? Well, no, the um, you, I forgot your phrase. Oh, serve before sold. Before yeah, sell yeah, yeah. sold, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. started Victory Media and I tried to start coaching probably late 2017 or early 2018 Mm -hmm. and I think I worked with one person Mm. and I just needed you need that long yeah and I didn't even realize it was smart that I did it until uh until I finally kind of launched HFK 
launched coaching and speaking for real and then blew up. HFK is her, her first, first 100K. 100K. Yeah. Right. yeah. Um, because I had grown and I had grown an audience. I had yeah. taken my time. And I could not have afforded to do that, to take risks, to, to, to build it slowly and authentically if I had been relying on it for income. Yeah. So I was giving advice, guidance, free blog posts. I was growing my network. Um, there's so many women in the personal finance industry who are bloggers and podcasters, and I built relationships with them. Mm. Um, I leveraged their work. They leveraged mine. Um, I was able to, I had the luxury of time because I had a nine to five. Yeah. And I'm able to take risks. I'm able to kill products that I no longer want to move forward with. Um, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, okay, then I get to pivot. I don't have to be in this panic mode all the time. Right. Um, and yeah, serving before selling, I think my nine to five gave me the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Uh, so let's talk about blowing up. <laughs> yeah. So within the last, when did the, so market watch, market the watch first time the market watch thing happened was March, okay. March so 5th, two, 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 almost three months ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's happened a couple times with Market Watch. So Market Watch published. Yahoo picked it up immediately. Mm -hmm. MSN picked it up immediately. So in one day, it was front page of Market Watch, front page of Yahoo, front page of MSN. I got blown up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, hundreds of emails and DMs and tweets and messages from people. Um, and then they republished probably 12 more times, which oh is like wow. unheard of. Um, about a million views on that post since then. It went, it went viral. Mm -hmm. um, the hate I got then was from MarketWatch's audience and clientele, which is uh, straight, old, rich white men in their 60s. Who what kind of hate were you getting from them? Um, I don't understand why gender needs to be part of this conversation. Uh. Why can't she just say... That she's saving money. Why does it have to be about women? I'm like, you're literally proving my point, Steve. Like, you're literally proving my point. Of <laughs> we need safe spaces to talk about how money affects women differently for all the reasons I've laid out and how money affects people with disabilities differently and mm -hmm. LGBTQ people and people of color. Like, we need these spaces because it does affect us differently. I'm not going to make as much money as men. And I'm going to live longer than men. Like that, that is, for me, it's just like, no, duh. But uh, probably 10% of the comments were great. I was like, good for her. And 90% were of the same. Like, I lost, I lost interest as soon as she said cisgender. Or I lost inf interest as soon as she said privilege. I don't understand why we have to talk about white privilege. And that's a huge tenet of my, of my story, is I yeah. really want to acknowledge that. Yeah. Of I know that there is there is certain you know 100k would not have been possible it just wouldn't have so that happened um and a lot of opportunities stem from that 60 second docs reached out after that mm -hmm. um, which is one of the biggest online documentary film companies there's been about a million views on that uh they flew out to seattle they filmed me for two days i did a free workshop for women in seattle 15 women came mm -hmm. i had to turn women away cnbc literally happened yesterday mm -hmm. And we're still, we're still figuring that one out. Gone viral again. I'm getting more hate. Uh, but it means more to me this time because it's not 65 year old men who I believe are, are out of touch. It's people in my demo. It's, it's 
men and women, this is the, really the first time I've gotten hate from women in their 20s and 30s who, uh, yeah, are just not being very nice. Well, so let's first just, can you describe what yeah. what it was? Yeah, so, so it was very similar to the Market Watch piece, but it was, uh, it was my byline. So it was about, uh, I'm 24 and I'm saving 100K by 25, and here are six tips about money. So mm-hmm. it was more actionable. Mm-hmm. Market Watch was kind of more reflective. Here's my story. Here's my mission of my company, that sort of thing. This was more like, one, automate your savings. Two, invest. Here are your different options. Um, so this was more actionable. Mm-hmm. I knew I'd get flack. It's just going to happen. Um, I have privilege. That's I, I don't blame people for being upset about it if they came from a background where this seems preposterous for this white girl who, um, whose dad helped her buy her first quarter vending machine at nine years old. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, that seems, that seems ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, there's, there's some comments that are just directly targeting my character, targeting my family. Um, I mean, I've been cussing this entire time, but it almost feels horrible to, like, say these comments out loud. But just telling, yeah, and it's just, um, it's like a car wreck. Like, yeah. you don't want to look, <coughs> but you right. also feel like you have to. Right. And I'm really receptive to feedback. Like, I want to be able to, I want to be talking about privilege. I want to be open and honest about that and about that part of my journey. Mm-hmm. And so when I get these comments, I'm like, am I not talking about this enough? But then I realize the entire article could be about privilege and they'd still be like, oh, she's privileged and I'm not going to take anything she has to say. Yeah. And so I think that's, uh, and I wrote an Instagram post about this. If you've, do you uh, listen to the fairer sense? Have you ever heard of that podcast? Mm, no. It's done by two friends of mine. They talk about money in regards to like all of the issues we've basically talked about race, yeah. gender, disability, like the, the systemic issues around money. Yeah. It's a great show, but they talked recently about how, for whatever reason, our society privilege and hard work are now mutually exclusive, hmm. but you can either have or not have privilege and still have hard work. So for me, like, yeah, I had, I had, some, yeah, I had privileges. I had a great financial education. I had parents who were involved in my life. I came from a middle-class family. I also didn't blow it. Like yeah. they didn't hand me a check. It wasn't a handout. It was like, how are we going to do this together? I was working three jobs on campus. Like I was, um, I applied, I, w- I graduated with two four-year degrees in four years. Like mm-hmm. I graduated two bachelor's degrees. Um, I was working really hard. And so these are things that we don't talk about enough of acknowledging your privilege and also talking about hard work, yeah. also talking about all the things you had to do to get there. Yeah. And, and again, I get it. Like it's, it's really hard to listen to somebody who did not have the life you have and immediately write off all of their advice. Yeah. But I like to think that maybe there's some nugget of my story or of the piece in CNBC or market watch or something that could, that could help. Like, even if it's just a little bit of like, oh, I've never thought about automating my savings. Yeah. Or, oh, that's what an IRA is. I've heard a lot about it, but that's what it is. You know, or, or the importance of side hustling. Like, we've hear- heard that a lot. But maybe, maybe there's, there's a nugget in there somewhere. Yeah. And I think discounting all of it because you're like, oh, she, has, she didn't have student debt. Well, I have student debt. So, screw her. You know, like... That's so hard. Yeah. So how? I mean, th- so this is all pretty raw, right? It's like it is raw. This literally happened yesterday, in. and I'm. I mean, I literally 
on our break, Sam, like I'm pulling out tweets where people are just like, <laughs> how dare <laughs> you? Know, you know, I mean, it's crazy. The stuff that people will say uh, cloaked in anonymity, especially it's like the the part, the point that you're raising about shame and money mm-hmm. and you can be cloaked in anonymity and on a platform you can respond to somebody that you don't know right. um, about something that that like h- hits everybody totally and what really um this is like this is gonna make me cry but they're talking about oh her rich dad gave mm-hmm. her everything my dad grew up so poor he and his two brothers grew up in Latrobe, Pennsylvania, would bathe once a week in water. And this is a podcast you're not going to be able to see probably this high. What mm-hmm. is that? Two inches? Two inches, yeah. And he was the youngest. And that was the water that was allotted. So by the time he took a bath, half an inch, half an inch of water. My dad, white, sure, but grew up poor. And his his made really intentional choices to give me a life that he didn't have Mm -hmm. him and my mom Mm -hmm. they were really really frugal they chose to have kids later because they wanted to build wealth and build money in order to give me opportunities Mm -hmm. um they they have lived in the same house for 33 years and we (laughs) we used to go pretty much every sunday out house hunting and they never bought one even though they could afford it they could afford all these cars and the house and all of this and i i was their investment Hmm. and so um you can insult me all you want like that sucks it's awful but um like don't don't tell don't tell my father who grew up poor and and worked so hard to get where he is that he is rich and that just that he handed me all this yeah like that's that's not fair yeah um so yeah this is clearly raw but just yeah i think that's the thing people don't realize about going viral on the internet like it's great i'm getting blown up i'm getting a lot of great messages too like we haven't talked about that like i'm getting a lot of really lovely lovely messages from 18 year olds who are like i'm looking up to you like i love that you you've done this can i do this too right um so i'm getting a lot of those messages but what we don't talk about enough is like you're gonna get a lot of shit like you're gonna get a lot of just really really negative feedback that has nothing like assumes everything about who you are and where you came from and who your parents are um and that's the stuff that you brace yourself for and you say doesn't affect you because it really doesn't. I know these are all strangers. Like they don't know anything about me, but then I wonder, okay, what could, do I need to be doing something differently? Yeah. I do feel for these people though, because this is back to what we were talking about. They have been screwed by the system. Mm -hmm. That's why they're, that's why they're bitter. That's why they're mad. I completely get it. I completely get it. I, it sucks that they're taking it out on me, but that's, that's okay. Um, so yeah, using I haven't. Empathy. I think empathy that's what I'm trying to do. Empathy is the tool to try to combat. Because too many people say, like, I was talking to my dad. Literally pulled in this morning, and he's <laughs> he doesn't understand how Twitter works. But he's like, "Don't open these messages," and I'm like, "That's <laughs> not how it works, Dad." He's like, "Just delete them." I'm like, "Again, not how it works. Like, I can't, I can't delete a tweet when yeah. somebody's directing it right at me. I'm gonna get the notification." Yeah. Um. 
I'm also going to get the notification of like, wow, great story. Thanks for sharing it. Yeah. But uh, at least it seems like I'm getting more neg- negative feedback this time. Yeah. And it's from people like I actually, and uh, this is going to sound harsh, but I actually care about their opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't care about 65-year-old Steve's opinion because mm-hmm. I'm not his, I'm not his audience or yeah. he's not my audience. Yeah. Um, empathy. People are like, don't read the comments. I don't know how to not do that. Maybe I'll get better at that. Um. Because then I miss the good ones too. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know yet. I'm I'm honestly trying to think. Yeah, do I do I need to? I but I don't know how to even further acknowledge my privilege. For me, like I, it's all over my website. It's like with privilege comes responsibility. I have a responsibility because I grew up this way to to spread my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like I know that I know that I have a responsibility. Right. And I don't know how to be more clear. And it's, it's less, I'm truly, I'm one of those people that I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Like, I love what I do. I know, I get Im- I get messages every day from women who are like, you're changing my life. Yeah. That's huge. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, I really don't care what other people think about me. But what I do care about is representing myself in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. And making sure that I'm doing my due diligence as a straight white woman. And that's that's where all of this gives me pause of like am i doing enough hmm. but do you know where that finish line is or where i mean no it's, i mean it's, it's undefined that's the hard right? thing is it's like i literally have people who are like you're talking about privilege too much she lost me at the word privilege and she's privileged i'm not going to listen to her i there's only so much i can do mm-hmm. like i am privileged i acknowledge that i'm the first to acknowledge that that's the first thing i talk about as part of my story um and you know advocating for people and all of that stuff that's that's what i will continue to do mm-hmm. and there's always more learning and growing to do but beyond that like i can't make privilege go away yeah yeah and i also can't like there's too many people who feel guilty about it and i feel a lot of guilt and that's not healthy either right, right? so the uh the, the fire acronym yes is financial that, independence you, retire early do you love that is mm. that or is what's your view on that That's i have a, a lot of friends thing. in fire i have mm-hmm. a lot of friends who have either fired or are on their journey to fire um i'm more interested in the fi which is financial independence i think mm-hmm. a lot of people are the retire early and this is this is the Susie orman out of touch she went on a podcast and was like this is not gonna work i hate the fire movement and she didn't understand it and she later, about five days, uh, five days after, came out with this like LinkedIn, basically apology, but it wasn't really an apology, where she was like, oh, well, I get that for many people, the RE of retire early is just like quitting the job they didn't no longer want to be in and doing something that they love, but still making money. And that's what most people do. Mm-hmm. It's like, I want to get out of the the hustle, the the job that just runs me ragged and do something I'd rather do. Right. Um, but again, she didn't do her due diligence. She didn't. She doesn't understand the community. She didn't. She didn't care to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, the retire early piece. If, if there was a retire early, it would be what I just described of like being able to do what I want. Yeah. And have having full the f- control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having yeah. the freedom to make these choices yeah. without without financial repercussions. Yep. Um, there's fat fire and lean fire. There's people who are like. I don't even sleep on a bed. I sleep on a yoga mat and I save 80% of my income. That's great. Again, good I on them. I didn't know there were different fire categories. Yeah, fat fire and lean fire. So it's basically, it's like how how much money, 
Like, am I going to live off $30,000 a year in retirement or I'm going to live off of $80,000 in retirement? Fat versus lean. Because um, lean fire, you can get to faster, right. but then you are not having as much fun. <laughs> so, the, so the fat or lean is based on the future date, yes. not the current. Yeah, so it's, you're it's saving how much, toward it's how much money you're going to be able to like. Is it a four percent withdrawal rate? Mm. Is it a two percent withdrawal rate? Gotcha. And then how much money? Because really, what fire comes down to, Mr. Money Mustache kind of you know coined this is that it's not how much money you're making; it's how that's the percentage you're saving, and the percentage you're living off of. Right. Um. So yeah, fat fire and lean fire. Mm. Um. And yeah, I have a lot of friends who who are really great in the community of acknowledging like my friend Tanya who runs fair sense and our next life, uh, which is a great blog. She fired with her husband. She was 38. He was 41. They had really high paying jobs. She talks about it. She goes, we had no kids. We had really high paying jobs and uh, we did it in seven years. Like we started year one. It took us year seven to do it. Um, and privilege was part of that story. What do they do now? She blogs and full time and she just came out with her first book called work optional. Um, and does different like financial independence retreats for women, um, runs the Ferris Sense podcast. So she's doing these things that really bring her joy that she makes a little bit of money off of. Yeah. Um, and then there's also parents with kids that are trying to do it. Um, so it's, it's, it runs the gamut. Yeah. But yeah, you're going to have a lot easier time if you're making more money and if you don't have kids and you live in a lower cost area. Right. Like that's just the reality of it. Right, right. Uh, okay, so let's back it up. Let's Kay. let's let's do the gear shift, shift gears. Um, so you started your first business at what age? Nine. Nine. Yeah. And it was a vending machine business. It was a vending correct? machine business. So it's the kind where you could put a quarter in, you get a handful of candy out. Mm -hmm. My dad is a salesman. Mm -hmm. Incredible. He's in the Tacoma area, and he had a customer who was trying to get rid of these vending machines. And it was like probably the first one I think was like three hundred bucks. Bought it for me, brought it home. I'm sitting there reading after school. I'm nine years old. I'm sitting in the family room, and he walks in with his vending machine and like plops it down in front of me and is like, "Hey, do you want to start a business?" And nine-year-old me is like, "Yeah, let's do it." And yeah, it grew from there. So all the profits went to my college education. It wasn't a lot of money. It was quarters. Yeah. My dad and I hand rolled every quarter. We'd go out uh, once a month on a Saturday morning and fill all the machines and service and. Um, how many machines were there? We had 15 by the time I graduated high school. So the idea was, uh, I don't think I got my second machine until probably two or three years in because I couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. um, my dad gave me like a loan for the first one, but he's like, you don't expand your business unless you have the money to do it. So I was writing checks in Costco for product when I was 10. Had my first savings account when I was 10. Um, was pitching myself. I had a contract. We probably still have a copy somewhere. Microsoft Word, black and white that just said, um, in exchange for, you know, you giving me space rent free, which I negotiated, um, I'll keep my machine full of tasty snacks. That was pretty much the contract. Uh, and and where, where was it placed? So a lot of the initial contacts came from my dad's customers. Mm -hmm. So he would like intro pitch them. I would go in. Um, I don't know if I remember the first time I ever pitched, but I remember probably a couple times later of just like, at first, it was just, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And I'd watch my dad or my dad would help coach me. And by the time, you know, I was in high school, I was servicing the machines myself. You know, I was driving to 
you know, these, these companies, I have a roller cooler. My parents still have it. The cooler would, you know, follow me into the, into the place and I'd open it up and I'd have my chocolate covered raisins and my peanut M&Ms. And I, you know, I'd know all the people working the front desk. They're like, hi, how's school? School's great. And I'd service my machines. And so really cool gifts. My parents gave me, uh, taught me so much about business. It was in no way novel. Like I didn't invent anything. I didn't go in shark tank. Like it was like, here's how profit and loss statement works. Here's how to pitch yourself. Here's how to manage money. Mm-hmm. Here's what to do when you put your machine in front of a window in the hot summer when there's not air conditioning. <laughs> what, what kind of products were in there? Is this one of those big No, no, no. Machines? This is like literally you put, like, it's like a gumball machine. Like okay. You put a quarter in, a okay. handful of candy. Yeah, so yeah, like yeah. three-headed yeah. machines. Yeah. I, have a fi- I have a photo I can send you yeah. to. Um, yeah, and they're a lot less expensive. I right. could not, because, you know, these big, like, vending vending machines are yeah. like $2,000. These are like... Uh, and I got to the machines that I really liked where they were super easy to open. The first one we bought because we didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. They were um, – the price was too much for the machine that they were offering. And so we found the machines that we really liked and that were super easy to clean and maintain. And mm-hmm. those were less money. And But, yeah, 15 machines by the time I graduated high school. All the profits went to my college fund. Yeah, we were hand-rolling quarters. And that's what we'd do is we'd go out for like three or four hours on a Saturday. We'd come home and we'd watch golf usually and roll quarters. <laughs> so wait, so when you say 15 machines, mm-hmm. three machines So there are three head machines. Yeah. That's one machine. Yeah. So 15 times three for Oh, okay. Products. So you yeah. had 45 of these machines. Well, really, they're, they're one machine has three different products okay. in, yeah. in the same yeah. machine. Yeah. I'm constantly um, trying to steer my kids away from those machines, by the yeah, way. Yeah, sorry. And they're always placed strategically right next to the door uh-huh. of the bouncy house yeah, or yeah, the yeah. whatever. Mine were all, because it, most of them were my dad's customers, they were like, they were in the break rooms oh, of yeah. places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, if you had a quarter, you'd get a handful of peanut M&Ms. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't work in startups now because all of that's, you know, provided for employees. Yeah. But, yeah, um, so I was wow. 20. So 11 years later, I sold that business to a 10-year-old who also happens to be named Tori. That's cool. So she's now doing the exact same thing. She's got to be 14 or 15. I should send her the CNBC article, actually, because there's the photo the day we sold the business. Oh, yeah? With yeah. her? Yeah. And I, she looks like me. That's <laughs> She literally <laughs> yeah. could be my younger sister. We're both yeah. sitting there, really similar glasses. Like She, she looks like I looked when mm-hmm. I was 10 years old. Super crazy. Um, but yeah, I learned everything about how to run a business. Um, and it is, it is, it got me into college because mm-hmm. that's what I talked about in my college acceptance essay. It got me into the entrepreneurial program at college, which I did my senior year. Um, it got me my first job actually of just telling that story and talking about the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Uh, it got me the job I have now. Like it helped, like, uh, helped me get market watch, helped yeah. me get CNBC. Yeah. Um, all of these opportunities just because it's new and novel like it's very rare yeah um but yeah again i didn't invent anything it was just like learning how to be a business owner so you did this for nine years uh, 11 so i was nine oh, 20, i sold it that's when right. i was 20 that's i was thinking 18 yeah um and it got harder to manage in college because i was away in portland and my dad was like i'm not doing vending without <laughs> you so it it, I think he did it. I do it during breaks, but he was kind of having to go in and like uh, do it on his own. And he's like, "This is your business." And well, yeah, so is it, was it like a full day? It had to be a full. Well, day yeah. To by the time it was fifteen machines, yeah, it was. It was usually we'd start at like nine, 
we'd end at one or two. Yeah. And my dad, these are all my dad's customers. So it probably helped oh, okay. his business a little bit too, where <laughs> yeah. he was in there. I, I would <laughs> fill the machines in about five minutes. And I used to, I used to get mad at him. I used to be like, why are we talking to all these people? Cause he'd go in there and, you know, shoot the shit yeah. for 20, 30 minutes sometimes. And I'm like, dad, you know, cause I'm still, you know, 12 yeah. and I have nothing really to say to, to say to them other than yeah. How's school? Yeah. Oh, that, that, you know, I got five peanut M&Ms instead of seven last week. Okay. We'll look into it. You know, it's genius as a salesperson. I mean, I would give free samples. My dad was big on that. He'd be like, every time you go and service some, you know, service a machine, or it wasn't probably every time because I used to hate giving out free product because I was like, but this is, we just bought this. <laughs> and so <laughs> he would be like, it was like Costco where he'd be like, we'd go grab like cups from like a yeah. water fountain or something and yeah. pour like peanut M&Ms and we'd give them to the people at the front desk. Yeah. And like, I'm sure that helped. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a reason why Costco gives those free samples. Right, right, right. right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my dad was big on that. And, yeah, I used to hate doing that. <laughs> I don't know if we've ever talked about that, actually, but I used to hate it because, I mean, I got I got the reason behind it. But, yeah, 10-year-old me didn't understand, like, why are we giving away? You're like, whoa, Dad, not so many. Oh, literally, M&Ms. literally. He'd, like, you fill it up with a cup, and I was like, no, 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 no. And I'd fill <laughs> the cup and, like, put some of it back in because I thought, okay, like, two handfuls is enough, not, like, three or four. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So do you leverage... I'm assuming you leverage that narrative in yep. your workshops, in your work with. Yeah, I talk about it. I talk about it in HFK. It's part of my journey. I mean, um, I think it adds more credibility of like, uh, again, the financial education piece. Yeah. Like of not only did I see from a personal finance standpoint, like my parents, um, you know, my mom pays bills still two days a month. I think it's the 13th and the 21st. Mm-hmm. And she has quickened from 1999. Mm-hmm. And she sits down and pays the bills. And I saw that. Yeah. I saw my dad call the cable company and negotiate the bill every three months. Wow. Like literally sit. Oh, I do it. I do it all the time now. He literally sits, you know, on hold and again, watches golf and sits there and like, you know, puts them on mute and then, okay, you know, what can you do for me? I've been your customer for how long? And they'll go, oh, 12 years, Mr. Dunlap. And he'll go, 12 years. That's a long time. <laughs> um, I would like to keep being your customer. How can we make that happen? Yeah. I mean, it's just, he's just, he's, he's good. And then, um, yeah, my mom, super frugal as well. They were both just really good savers. I learned to not, to not overspend on credit cards. I learned all of this. And then also I learned how to run a business. Mm-hmm. I learned the vending machine thing on top. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, incredible gift. So when you describe that, it, so do you, do, do you view that? I know you view that as privilege, right? So I'm trying to unpack yeah. the association with, having loving, caring parents who are very fiscally sound. Yes. Like at the, at a very high degree. Um, and, and the word privilege. Right. Like, can you just riff on that a little bit? Sure. How that hits you? I mean, the fact that my parents have been married, I'm doing the math in my head. Uh, it'll be 33 years in September. Um, I never went through a divorce. I'm an only child for pregnancy complication reasons, but whole other whole other conversation. Um, white, middle class, went to private school. Like my parents made really intentional decisions to be able to send me to private school. Um, yeah, I mean 
having involved parents in your life. Mm. I wish that was a privilege everybody had, of course. But unfortunately, it's not. Yeah. Like, I had a really stable childhood. I had a really happy childhood. I never wanted for anything. I was always fed. I didn't have everything I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, but we took vacations. We yeah. traveled. We, um, I always had a dependable car to get me to school. I went to a private school. I did, you know, I had p- piano lessons and theater. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom, which is a privilege. Right. She was able to drive me to all this stuff and yeah. really invest in my, my life and my future. And my dad, his number one priority was our family. So he never missed a piano recital or a baseball game. He, he coached t-ball. I played softball for probably 10 years, and he coached every single year. Wow. And then I played basketball for three years, and he coached basketball too. Um, and then worked really, really hard at his job. And was really w- he's really, really good at what he does. Yeah. And so also provided for us financially. So for me, I think it would be um, negligent and honestly offensive to not acknowledge that that all of that contributed to the person I am today and the opportunities I've had. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, I guess as you, I mean, that's something to draw on. Yeah. Next time you pull that phone back out. Right. right? And You're all right. those haters are coming. I know. Because then that privilege can be, can be uh, a support mechanism when you hit those tough times, right. right? So when those... Well, and that's what's been so cool is I'm very public about it, is I go on to I go on a Instagram where a lot of my followers, like I, I have a huge, really dedicated following on, in a, on Instagram. Yeah. I shouldn't say huge. I'm just talking, it's bigger than uh, my other platforms. But mm-hmm. I screenshotted a bunch of the hate mail mm-hmm. and like talked about it of like, yeah. this feels like a car crash. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you guys, this sucks. Yeah, And... um. I really try not to sugarcoat things. Yeah. I try to be really, really authentic with what's going on with me personally, yeah. professionally. Like, this is the thing people don't talk about, like, when you go viral. Yeah. Of, like, you get all these opportunities, which is great. You also get people who are really, really mean. Right. And here's how I'm dealing with it. Right. It's not great. Right. But that's okay. Right. Um, and that's actually added to my brand. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the way that you, you control it or, or that's the element that you can control. Yeah. Well, and people trust me more and find me more relatable rather than me being like, Oh, I have it all together. Like these comments don't mean anything. Yeah. I'd like to say that they really don't mean that much to me. Like I, I'm waking up, I'm going through life just fine. But yeah, I'm not going to lie that like in the back of my head, I'm like, Oh, that, that sucked. You're human. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What does the future of HFK (laughs) look like? I'm going to be the millennial Susie Lemon. But again, without the collars <laughs> and blatantly <laughs> feminist and in touch. I don't live on the, my private island uh, and like descend from on high to give financial advice when mm-hmm. I feel like it. I'm in the trenches with everybody else. Um, yeah, that's really the, that's the big umbrella goal. But really it's to have an impact on women and women's lives mm-hmm. and to feel... I already feel like I'm making a change, which is so cool. It's so cool to see my work pay off. Yeah. Like to have women text me and, and that I've worked with or that have just followed me on Instagram and been like, I'm starting to invest now. And I was too scared to do it before. Or um, I had $70,000. And one of my clients, $70,000 in credit card debt. She paid off 10 in the first month after working with me. Wow. Yeah. Because just discipline and sitting down and being like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shy away from this anymore. Yeah. Um, I negotiated a job offer. 
and sometimes people get in sometimes people people don't but you know i'll get the dms of like you know what at least i tried and i was too scared to try before mm-hmm. yeah um that's powerful it's it's incredible it's incredible it's really cool and that's what i want to continue doing um i our lovely friend and my mentor cindy mm-hmm. i called her right after i gave really my first like financial coaching session mm-hmm. i called her literally right after and i was like this is what i meant to do and she was like journal hold on to that feeling um i had this energy coursing through me like nothing i've ever felt before yeah. really uh, probably being on stage because i love theater i've always loved theater yeah. it's probably that's probably the only other time i've felt this energy mm-hmm. i've just uh exhausted but at the same time i wanted to run a marathon and mm-hmm. i'm not a runner so mm-hmm. like just that feeling of this is it yeah this feels so good yeah and she's like that's the feeling you need that's the feeling you capture and that's that's how that's what guides you forward Mm -hmm. is if you're feeling that great if you're not make a change how do you unlock that in others how do you help them find that same energy i think passion feeds passion so seeing me get riled up i think gets them riled up which is great Mm -hmm. in a good way um but also just small incremental changes. You don't have to start with a thousand dollars if you don't have it. You can start saving one percent of your income, mm-hmm. and that's still you're saving money. That's still better than nothing. You can start putting away the twenty dollars that you would have spent on something that you 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 know didn't like, didn't bring you joy, and put that into savings instead. Right. And once you start seeing, oh, I did I did this myself. I did this. I didn't think I could do it. I have complete control over my money. That's that's what really gets you going. Right. It's a snowball effect, right? right. I mean, that's powerful. It compounds. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Where can people find you and what closing remarks mm. do you have? Um, Herfirst100k.com. It's where you can find me, my coaching sessions, my product offerings, as well as all of my social pages. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with people one-on-one in coaching. I give online workshops for uh, that are virtually um, conducted, and then I also have a ton of free resources on my blog and on my uh, on my social accounts. Um, closing thoughts: um, Having funds means having freedom. Having having money means you have the freedom to choose the life you want and make decisions. And I believe I was put on this earth to help women do that. Love it. Perfect close. Thanks. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.